This podcast contains some very open conversations about parenthood and mental health, so there may be some content that listeners might find triggering or upsetting. Please listen at your own discretion, and for help or support, look at the episode description for resources. And please do. Asking for help was the best thing I ever did. I'm Laura Dockrell and this is Zombie Mum, a podcast that aims to normalise the conversation surrounding mental health and parenthood, hearing voices from the perspective of both parents and children for some empathetic, compassionate, heartbreaking, heartwarming, real talk. On today's episode, I chat with Remy Sade. Remy describes herself as a writer, archivist and activist, but she obviously left total badass off the list. I found out about this chick through Instagram, where we began dropping little hearts here and there on each other's pages. But two pair of twin set matching Tesco bought lemon pyjamas each later, and we were sliding into the old DMs, and I found myself diving into the images, words, and world of Remy Sade. Remy can write, really write. Her blog is a museum, an art gallery, a diary. But after speaking with Remy, her blog is a lot more than that. It's her sanctuary, a safe space, a brain gym to beat around her thoughts inside, a laboratory to experiment and investigate and be curious, to dissect and challenge ideas and prod and probe and microscope in on, a garden that needs planting and weeding and tending to, a medicine. Here, we speak about every part of motherhood, the essential practicalities with the unquantifiable, love and care, blood and cash, food and sleep, trauma and healing, and just about everything in between. There is a real power here, a real strength, but there is a soft side to Remy, the way she braids poetry into her science of life. I am so pleased and privileged to have captured even a little bit of this rare gem. And here is her story, Remy Sade. Thank you so much for being here today. I feel like I've been like watching you on um, Instagram and I just... You know when you just look at someone, you're just like, I just love what that girl is doing. Oh I my just gosh, love... I appreciate that so much. You don't even know. And I know it sounds so so silly because she's just a little girl, but I'm like, and now I love what this little girl's doing too. <laughs> Do you know what? I was like always aware of like your work from when I was little, like in secondary school. So like when you was like to me, can I send you my book? I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And I messaged all my friends as well. I was like, oh my gosh, you never guess what? You're going to send me a book. <laughs> Stop it. Like, And I remember saying to my friends, I feel like as a writer, you know, you kind of made it when like other writers want to send you their writing. It's that like thing of like respect where respect is due. I love do you know that. what I mean? And I, I like, do. I never really dreamed of like writing or selling books, but I always knew like if I have like the respect of my peers enough where they like care about reading my work and care about me reading theirs, like it's a thing. So like, that is so nice. So that's interesting, isn't it? Because it's like a really lonely... When you're like, I guess, a chatterbox or yeah. an activist or you like being around people, like I think we do, like with friends and 
talking and then you want to tell stories and then you go and write a job and it's like now be on your own in this silent attic of your metaphorically whatever in your brain and just make work and you think the little bit of you that always wanted to be maybe a pop star is like but I really want to be on stage as well with people and not on my own so I think sometimes it's like we kind of rely on um, each other don't we to remind each other that we exist those like so I guess you would have known that and then you would have known me being a, a mum and losing the plot and <laughs> all that. And and then I see you and you're like, I think you got pregnant when you were 22. Yeah. Because I've got to say, like, you know, I went mad after I had a baby. I, me too. And, and, it, and the thing... <laughs> so I just wondered if you could just walk us through, if you're able to, you know, being 22, finding out this news, where you were at in your headspace, your thoughts, your fears, what was going on for you? Um, I was terrified so I started writing when I was pregnant, actually. And I started writing about, like, the beginning of my pregnancy. And, like, on my blog, there's, like, a series of pieces about, like, how it was. So, basically, the night after I found out I was pregnant, I went to a concert to see, like, one of my favourite performers. And she had had a baby when she was 23. And, like, get this, yeah. So I'm going out with, like, my ex's sister. And, like, we was just going, like, for a night out, whatever. I was, like, trying to get this whole thing out of my head because I was in uni, had no money. Good luck. Right? Like, <laughs> she starts talking about how she had a baby when she was 23. And she's scared to have another one because she lost the plot. But she loves her kid. And, like, her kid was, like, watching her perform. And it was a whole thing. I cried the whole concert. This is, like... A once in a lifetime, I cried the whole concert. So there was that. That was how I started. Then on top of that, I had finally gotten into uni and I had put myself into uni as well. Um, so I did like private A-levels because I did, decided to go backpacking instead of going to uni. Also, I'd moved out of home at 17 because I'd already been pregnant and had an abortion. I was pregnant with twins when I was 17. And that was, so I was like homeless when I was 17, moved out of home, was pregnant with twins. Obviously, eventually like moved into a house, had to get a job, like learn how to look after myself. Then after that, I decided when I was 19, I'd finally got into some kind of like a place in my life. And I decided to go backpacking. The person I was with at the time didn't want me to go, so I ended up taking a job in central London, running a posh restaurant, basically. Like, I'd blagged my way into the whole thing. Um, and I was like, you know, like, this is what I want to do. So I'd gone backpacking and then basically come back and I was like, right, I'm going to take my education seriously. I taught myself all my A-levels, got into uni, then found out I was pregnant. I was living off my student loan. This is the most financially stable I'd ever been in my entire life. And I was pregnant on a four-year degree. So I was, like, losing my entire shit. I didn't believe it. I took free pregnancy tests, I think. I made the nurse test me, the doctor. I just I just didn't believe it. Like, I was just like, surely this isn't happening. Like, I'm, I'm not actually pregnant. I, it didn't really set in until I was about seven months pregnant. What ended up happening was I had had my baby shower. And after I'd had my baby shower... I hadn't eaten and it had been a long day. I ended up bleeding. I had to go to the hospital. And then, like, obviously they're, like, checking you and putting you under OBS and testing you. And I was like, oh, shit, like, I'm having a baby. And, like, something <laughs> might be wrong. And I was just like, what am I going to do? Yeah, what was your plan? I don't know. I was young and dumb and couldn't believe <laughs> it. And, like, I was in so much denial about the situation Obviously, I'd been pregnant before, so luckily, 
the two things that I wanted to do before I had a child was go traveling and move out of home. And I'd done both of those things to kind of rationalize it. I remember saying to my friends, if I had gone to uni at the age of 18 and finished at the age of 21 and been out of home for five years, I would be 27. And it wouldn't be such a shock that I was having a baby. It feels like a shock because I'm 22. But like, I've already had a career working, like doing different random jobs that were like not taking me anywhere anyway. And I have no sense of purpose. And I was due to be wayward as fuck. I say to people all the time, like me without a baby (laughs) at 26 years old was just going to be like a bad beat in a different sense because I am. But like I was due to be so wayward and I went through all of these different experiences and I knew that I didn't want to have an abortion again at that time. So I knew that if I got pregnant, I was going to have a baby. So the fear, I, I wrote a piece, I think it's called Retrospective or something. And I wrote a piece saying basically the fear was not about whether or not I was going to have a baby. It was being able to be good at being a mum. Even before I'd gotten pregnant, I, it was really like, I'd already started to put that pressure on myself of like, you're 22 and you don't know what you're doing. Also, I was living in a one bedroom flat in Brixton, which I know sounds bougie, but it wasn't. It really wasn't. I am thinking so many things as I'm listening to this. I'm thinking your headspace. I'm just thinking like, you're such an interesting point. You weren't even thinking about the birth and the labour. You were thinking already how to be a good mum, which is just already like twisting my heart because it's like, it's it's so daunting, isn't it? Like every day, you know, when I'm, you know, parenting, I hate the way that's even in my vocabulary now, but it has to be great. I'm thinking, oh, am I paying enough attention? Am I doing this right? Am I on their level? There's constant, you know, did you think at that age that you'd had this? I know you said about the moving out and the traveling. Do you think you had that wealth of experience? No. 17-year-old me who made the decision to have an abortion was also the 17-year-old who was still living rent-free in my head telling me, as long as you've gone traveling and you've left home, you are a woman. I believed at a very young age that a woman, to me, the definition of a woman was somebody who made their own decisions. And those were the only two things I wanted to do because I was 17. So you mean almost in that like childlike way when you're like, I just want to do this and do that. Oh, done that. Ready now. Exactly. So it was just Yeah, it just, it wasn't um, something that I'd considered as to what I wanted to do as being a parent. I just considered what I wanted to do before I became a parent because I'd also heard everybody say all the things that they'd lost and regretted. But so, yeah, I moved out and and I did all of those things, but it wasn't much, you know. And then I found that I was pregnant. And and also because I decided to take my education seriously, I was in a little bit more of a serious head frame. So I was like, whoa, what's going to happen here? And then the first year was just insanity. I'm thinking of that song, um, the Lauren Hill song to Zion when... I used to cry. Oh my gosh, I used to listen to that. And I used to listen to Mockingbird by Eminem every day for like a year. (laughs) And I used to cry. Like, you know when you're feeling sorry for yourself? I used to cry. um, What's the bit in Mockingbird, the reference? Because I'm thinking of the bit in... um, Lauren Hill's song when she says, you know, look at your career. They said, Lauren, baby, use, use your, your head. head. But instead, but I, chose, instead yeah. I chose to use my heart. The reason why I used to cry was because I used to listen to it and think she made a different choice. Like when she said, untold what the battle held, but I yeah. like, held my belly overwhelmed and all of that stuff. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I didn't do that. I used to think that I wasn't ever going to have a kid because I'd made a decision to have an abortion. And I think for me, it was such a... By the way, I'm very pro-choice. I just want to state that. Like, for me, like, it was a decision that I'd made, but still I didn't understand the gravitas of how I would feel even though I'd made that choice. And then once I 
had found that I was pregnant, I was like, okay, well, now you know you're going to make a different choice. But I was still conflicted because I wasn't happy about it. I was so scared. And I just did not know what to do. And also when I went online to look for people in my position or with the same experiences as me, there wasn't anything available at that time. That was like 2016. So there were mums, but they didn't have the same like setup as me. They weren't in uni. Most of them were married. Most of them were white women. They had like families and like old money. And I was like, <laughs> basically a kid. <laughs> so, so what was the reaction? Um... So a lot of people were surprised, but I also, I brought it to them, like, listen, the same way that I pay my bills by myself, I'm having a baby. Like, I'm not asking you to do anything. I'm just letting you know this is, this is the next turn of events. A lot of my friends were really supportive because I had surprised them when I decided to go traveling. And then I surprised them when I was like, oh, by the way, I got into uni and I was doing like a physical geography degree. I was going to be like a scientist or a teacher. So... They were just like, oh, you're having a baby. And I'd been with um, my daughter's dad for a really long time. So it wasn't a surprise in that sense, but it was more like, I swear you didn't want to do this. Also, like I really wanted to get married before having a baby. So it was a surprise that I had at that point been pregnant. But also I was just like, listen, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And I ended up becoming a single parent. And that was the best thing for my family unit. And now my family unit is obviously me and my daughter. And because I had decided that I wanted to have her irrespective of how our family ended up. That was so important. So it was like, I almost intentionally thought of all of the different options that lay ahead of us. And I didn't know what to do, but I knew that like, I was going to try my best to be a good parent. And I just wanted to begin that conversation with myself because I didn't know at all what I was doing. And it was like, time just felt like it was moving a lot faster when I was pregnant. I felt like... My pregnancy was long, but I was like, oh, this time last year, I was like dancing on tables in nightclubs. And <laughs> now it's I'm funny, like... Because you're not really giving yourself enough credit because there is a real wisdom there. Like, it's so rational and you're weighing everything up, it feels like. And yeah, you're daunted and you're scared, but... I think everybody is, but of course you're, you've got, I mean, they say there's not a good time to have a baby. There's never a good time to have a baby. It's like, this is really not a great time to have a baby. But what is amazing is I do sense like that you are being really courageous, but you're being smart. You're not being an idiot. Like. Yeah, I was trying to be smart. I mean, then the hormones came and got me and all sense and sensibility dashed out. So the let's door. talk about your pregnancy when everything got dashed out the window. Yeah, so I had antenatal depression. Um, it was undiagnosed, but now I understand that. Like, I was so scared. I cried every day. It was hard. I cried a lot um, until like probably around five months. And were you living on your own? I was living on my own for most of that time. And then I was living with um, the person that I was with. But like, even that was like a test because obviously relationships like change when things happen. And what is it they say? Like the four was biggest life changes you can have is like a funeral, a baby, a marriage. And like marriages obviously like in part include moving in together. I think with the other thing would be money troubles actually for me. And like, I was so young, I was 22. And so yeah, living on a student loan is wild. I know that like people act like students get loads of money for like 
What I'm still paying that off. I am. <laughs> Literally, it seems to never go down. Yeah. So, so it was. Yeah, it was a bit of a wild one, and, I and just... it's meant to be used for textbooks, not for. No, right, <laughs> isn't not, it? So you're probably thinking grows. this is not what I have. <laughs> no, it's not. It's so you've got to make things. it stretch to also feed and raise a little person. Like this is the other thing. I went to uni until I was 38 weeks pregnant. Oh. <laughs> And I did my exams while I was like 38 weeks pregnant. How did you feel being there in the exam room with all your other, you know, people in your class, your friends, your whatever they are? So I was already a mature student because I went when I was 21. So I didn't really hang out with the kids like that. But this was real. This was real. And I was (laughs) I was the pregnant girl, you know. So, yeah, it was wild. I remember actually one of my friends was a girl who was younger than me and from a really um, traditional family. And she lived at home. She was about 18, I think. And she was like, wow, like, you're going to have a baby. So what does that, like, what does that mean? And I was like, I'm going to be someone's mum. And she was like, what, like, every day? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm doing the part-time course, actually, of this. (laughs) Yeah, every day. So, yeah, it was, that was interesting. And obviously having to explain to my lecturers what was going on. I'd also just been diagnosed as dyslexic and dyspraxic because I was struggling with my studies before I'd found out I was pregnant. So I was also being like trained on like computer software that would help me with my studies while I was also figuring out what to do for my life. It was a hot ass mess. I took a line out of one of your pieces um, because I wanted to ask you what it meant when you said um, for the path I've walked is long. And I was going to go, what is that long path? (laughs) And now I'm like, okay, now I know what that long path is. Yeah. Because I'm like, you're so young. And then actually that is a lot. Like that is a lot. And you should just be bloody proud of yourself, really. Oh, thank you. So let's go back just a little bit because I would really love you to explain about your um, the depression, the crying that you were feeling, if you're okay to tell us about yeah, that. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I would describe my mental health experience when I was pregnant as like a long mental labour. Like my mind was like expanding and constricting. So it was like in some ways, I, I know that sounds mad, but like I'm thinking of No, I totally, I'm there, like, I like, I'm like, there. You can, it's almost like there's like a, gush of air like when you push a baby out there's like a gush of air that they obviously feel yeah and it was like information and then it was like right I can't deal with this so then it was like I'm going to just reject it all but then it's like no but you're moving mad because you're about to have a baby what are you doing and there is a piece of writing that I wrote that I I haven't shared it yet but it talks about this girl who's basically in her mum's belly and she's rejecting everything that she feels right now because she feels like it's not for her, but it's not for her, it's for me. And I need her to remember who she is so that she can teach me who I am. And that is literally how I felt when I was pregnant. I used to have mad dreams as well. Why don't people talk about the mad dreams? No, the dreams are... I dreamt I was eating my baby in a risotto and he was like the main feature and I was serving him up for people at a food market in Waterloo. Why did it have to be so middle class and bougie as well and livid? I had a horrible dream that was recurring. I had two actually. One of them was actually my labour, which ended up being deja vu in a weird way. Like like it was it was just weird. Um, And it was a recurring dream about me just being in the birthing pool and nothing bad was happening at that point. But I just kept having this dream and then the night that I gave birth and was in labour it was that I just looked no, around and I was no, like no. Or what? so was, you sort of preempted the future in your dream I don't even know how to describe it it was just so familiar and I was like in labour and also being that shit I dreamt about this and I'd been dreaming about it my whole pregnancy but then the other thing was I had a dream that like 
I was in a water tank on an army base and my baby was on the other side. Get this, the water tank had no glass panels, but the water was like a cube and I was in it. I'm being so serious. And every time I tried to get out of it to get to my baby, there was glass and it wouldn't shatter. Oh my God. And I so... and I started to drown. Every time I tried to get out of the, the water tank situation, I started to drown. But if I didn't, then I was fine. And I just couldn't get to my baby. That sounds absolutely... Absolutely traumatic. <laughs> yeah, it was like, I couldn't rest in the day. I couldn't rest at night. I was at uni. But I just knew I was going to be someone's mum and I had to figure it out. So I, I wrote a lot. I also wrote because I wanted other people in my position or who related to me in any way to feel like they had perspective. I didn't want to give anybody advice. And I was very clear about that. But I also wanted to give some perspective on what it could be like because I'm doing it anyway. Hard it may be, I'm doing it anyway. This is a choice that I've made. And in the same way that I was very um, clear about the choice that I'd made in my first pregnancy, I was clear about the choice I was making in my second one and being open to the unknown. So yeah, it was it was kind of like a diary of sorts. And that was kind of my first ever blog that ended up becoming my first ever blog, yeah. It's interesting because you said that you kind of were studying, uh, what was it, physical geography, geography yeah. and you basically are doing physical geography. You're kind <laughs> of mapping your journey and and you're physically living it and then you're regurgitating it and you're kind of doing what you set out to do. You're speaking about the science of life, like in a, yeah, I think your own way. People are the science of life in so many instances. And I think parenthood is a really profound experience because on a primitive level, you start to understand these things and you go through an experience that is like, you can't control so many parts of it and you can't control this little person, but you're still entrusted to like translate the world for them. So you have to figure it out. So with your symptoms though, did you have, you went to the doctors, did you, with these kind of... No, so I got diagnosed with PND because basically when Sana was born, I hemorrhaged. I lost over a litre of blood um, and I had a double episiotomy, which is where they cut you. Um, I, we didn't have time for proper anaesthetic and she was born with a heart rate of 20 beats per minute. It was a bit wild. And obviously that fucked me up. <laughs> And then I ended up becoming a single parent within 11 months of that situation. So I was like on my way to hell in a hot basket. And I just, yeah, I had a breakdown. I had a couple of breakdowns, actually. Why do people act like a breakdown is a one-time thing? BTW. <laughs> no, please don't tell me that. No. I was thinking mine was done and dusted. I know, no, everybody one. acts like they're like, you know, like after the breakdown, you have good days and bad days. No, while you're having the breakdown... Some days are very, very peak. And then the next day you feel like I'm getting it together slowly but surely. And then you watch an advert and then the woman in Pampers loves her child in a better way than you. And it's just, it's all over again. <laughs> it's um, it's snakes and ladders. You get to the top and you're on that massive and then suddenly that long snake drags you yeah, all the way it's, back it's, down again. The way that they say healing isn't linear. So breakdowns are also equally as mad. And so, yeah, I was really going through it. And I ended up just going to my doctor being like, so I'm ready to go back to uni because I went back to uni when my daughter was four months old. Because if you don't go to uni, you lose your student loan because you're obviously not learning. So I was like, well, this is my only income. So 
I need to go to uni. And that is also when I started writing my blog properly as well. It was so chaotic. I can't even tell the story with concise sense. And I think that's why I chose to write as well, because when you read those entries, it all seems, like you said, polished, because I've been able to like stand back from the situation and like draw some kind of understanding from it. I feel like in all of that chaos, there are lessons to be learned. I don't really believe you make mistakes in life. I just feel like you keep doing things or going through things until you learn the lesson and then you do it differently. So I needed to learn some lessons and I was like, I can't make sense of this, but my writing is also like my solace. It's my clearest thought space. I have a piece of writing called Catharsis, which is just about like the therapeutic nature of my work. And I used to only write between like 2 and 5am because my daughter would wake up and need a feed and I couldn't go back to sleep. I've been in insomnia ever since my first abortion. And I needed to heal through my motherhood journey, which actually began before I became a mum as well. So I needed to write through that so that I didn't project weird shit onto my kid. Not that anyway. Like, if it's subconscious, what can I do? But like, I consciously was aware that I had these issues. And I was so young. And at the time, I just needed some support. So I went to the doctor and she diagnosed me. And what symptoms were you feeling? So I was tearful. I didn't deal well with stress. And also for me, I couldn't engage with other people. I was so scared of allowing my mental health to spill over into my parenting that I was what I would say a perfect parent, textbook perfect parent. But I'd neglected myself completely. I became agoraphobic. I wouldn't really go out. I couldn't walk for a couple of weeks after I'd given birth anyway. So then, and my like episiotomy wound, the stitches burst, the wound was open for like 10 months. It was wild. This is what I'm trying to tell you. It was Sweetheart, so crazy. <laughs> like, I can't. So I just, I wouldn't leave the house, which was a really interesting one. I would sleep as much as my daughter slept. I just wasn't taking care of myself properly. So she was fine. She was taken care of. I made sure that like, I was always there at the health visitor appointments because I didn't want that woman in my space. Like I just wanted to be left alone. And I always say to people, when I look my best, I usually feel my worst unless somebody's like paying me. So (laughs) it was... Did you recognise when you were like, say you're agoraphobic, did you go, okay, this is not okay now. This is not me. Um... No, because I was like, who I was was not right. She wasn't a mum. She was a person who wasn't responsible and blah, blah, blah. So I just neglected who I was. I was like, right, just be a mum. So I did that and I didn't do anything else. And when I started to write, I started to like come to my senses almost. I can't describe it because the whole situation was so mad. Also, I did a lot of travel when she was young as well, just to feel something I needed to feel something I couldn't feel much except for love for her but I couldn't feel anything outside of her and that is not healthy like that is not healthy I get it when people are like the baby looks great and like you don't look tired that's because I'm sleeping because I'm mad (laughs) and I'm feeding my kid but also my daughter had allergies and I was breastfeeding so I thought my body was just killing her I thought wow you couldn't bring her into the world properly now the baby's dropped on percentiles she was born on the 50th and she was like on 0.4 and projectile vomiting all the time and they kept telling me it was reflux a year later we ended up finding out it was allergies thankfully so you were eating and then she was getting them in your milk 
Yeah, and like because I'd had my stitches come out, I ended up getting an infection after I'd given birth. So she got oral thrush and I got boob thrush. I didn't know that was a thing because I was taking antibiotics. I can't even describe it to people, but that was just the first six months. So what I did end up doing during this time, somehow I also found time to take her to Berlin. And also I went to a music festival. I'd never been camping before and I'd never been to a festival before. And I was losing my shit and Brixton and the London pollution was getting to me on top of everything else. And I was like, I just want to be in a field. So I Googled family friendly festivals. There was one that was happening in two and a half weeks. I bought a tent. I figured out how to get there. I put it on Instagram. I'm going to this festival. Is anybody going? I emailed some influencer and I was like, hey, I read your blog post about when you went how was it she was like I bathed every day I was like great there's hygiene I took a bike lock because my tent was too small to put my push chair in it and I <laughs> locked it up outside the tent I actually okay <laughs> like, <laughs> and like it was so I also another symptom was the need to be free it wasn't like a I just need to go traveling and find myself eat pray love it was like I was craving this like freedom of entrapment and I didn't know what to do. But I just knew that like, as long as I was parenting, as long as I was getting up every day, eventually something better would come. But I also needed to like feel something. And this was the only time during my mat leave when I could do that. And I had read all of these things about like women being in, mainly women at the time anyway, being in environments where they felt like they'd been left behind and everybody else around them had been moving ahead. And I was like, no, fuck that. Because remember, I'm still 22 or 23. And like, even though I didn't feel connected to myself, that part of me was still there. Like, no, you can do what you want, you know. Don't ever let anybody tell you for no other reason, just but because you can. So I was like, I'm not going to let everything leave me behind. I'm going to go towards something else. I just have to feel and see what it's like. And it was great. You know, me and my kids sat in the woods for a couple of days and like ate cool food. And I listened to like debates in tents about like the future of the tech industry. And people were like, what are you doing at this festival? I was like, living my life. Like, I hate it. I hate my life. So I'm going to live one that I like for a minute. What's so beautiful about that is that, you know, you talked about you needed to travel, you needed to study, you do these things. And actually, my heart is like inside. It's really burning because I'm like, all you'll seem like you're doing to me is trying to grab your identity back. Yeah, so, so hard. bad. Like, and I had like no money back. as well. So everything was being done on a budget but also through that also people kept saying to me you have to create content and the industry that I went into was one that was full of really rich people I was really poor really really poor like I would feed my kid and not myself poor so I would save money and do things like buy a train ticket and go on like a return trip to Liverpool and then write about it because I didn't have content necessarily and like the environment that I was in was not conducive to my creativity and I couldn't write about feeling like I was crazy because also culturally there was a lot of stigma attached to mental health so I wasn't ready to share that I was just losing my shit I had to creatively live my life in order to fuel this thing that I like it was fueling the person who was raising my kid like my creative path because it was unlocked when I became a parent and I just was like wow there's no information here that I can even try to like help myself with so being a parent unlocked so much and I always say like I gave birth to life in my daughter and she gave birth to the parent in me. And that is such a beautiful, like, coexistence. I don't just see it as, like, I'm doing for her and she hasn't done anything for me or vice versa. 
the insomnia which you mentioned you said since you were pregnant the first time that's when you gained this insomnia I used to be somebody that could fall asleep like at a festival standing up you know and then I went from someone that would walk into a cinema and I would always I'd pay my money knowing I was just going to be asleep for two hours you know and then having jet having my experience experience insomnia for the first time and now it is a part of my life I sleep really well but I'll have one night bad and that's it I'm triggered you know it's like a cost and exchange I've kind of it's a scar that I feel like I have to wear you know now from my experience and I'm not the only one it feels like pregnancy or well trauma as well you know begins insomnia and it's something you walk with on and off it's something that I've lived with for 10 years now well how old am I 26 yeah nine years so on and off I will usually have about three weeks of good sleep two weeks of no sleep I do things to kind of clean my sleep as well. So one thing is like I'm consistent with my therapist. Another thing is like I ensure that like the room that I sleep in has not too many things in it, but I really like my bed and like my bed sheets. I'm really into pyjamas. So I I kind of trick my brain into like being in like comfortable environments. I listen to like calming music. All of these kind of things get me into the environment of sleep and I will consistently do those things. If I don't do those things and I don't sleep, that's my own fault. And I know that now because I've been doing it for so long that it's it's a characteristic of my body at this point. My whole life has to be peaceful. But also like I've made sure my whole life is conducive to good mental health as well. So my mental health is and has been pretty stable. But stable doesn't mean that it's always good. It just means that it's been stable. So that means that the system and pattern and rhythm of my brain, I also understand. I'm a single parent as well, so I don't have the, I don't know what's the right word to use. I wouldn't say luxury opportunity, but I don't have the option of somebody else caring for my child if I'm not of like good health. So I don't just look at my health in a physical sense. I look at the health of my family, which includes my health, my physical health and my mental health as well. Also because my mental health affects my physical health, which affects whether I can work. So that is the health of my family and that is a branch of of our health. Do you find that a pressure as well that you kind of got to stay on top? Because I certainly do. Yeah, absolutely. You've got to show up, haven't you? Absolutely, absolutely. And because I, I used to be so poor, like me and my daughter used to like have like three weeks worth of food off of like one roast chicken. Like I'd spin it three ways and freeze it. Like I was skin. It was hard. Single parenting is not easy. I had to work really hard to provide the life that we do live now but I still have to work hard to maintain that. And you know, you live within your means and when your means change or your environment changes, you have to adapt. And the adaptation is on one 20 something year old who don't know what the fuck they're doing, but just is like, I got some wisdom. How did you become where you are now? What did you have to put into your life, apart from, of course, your beautiful little girl, to get you better and where you are now? Um, My therapist has been undeniable. My support network as well. I call them the Sana Squad. (laughs) I believe that it takes a village to raise a child and that village doesn't have to be a physical one. I said to some of my friends, please just never stop inviting me out. I'm probably going to say no for a really long time. But one day I'm going to say yes, or one day I'm going to want to go somewhere and I'm not going to know where to go because I'm not cool anymore. Like, I'm a mum now. <laughs> I haven't been on the scene in a while, <laughs> you know. And some friend, it's 
they have more of a relationship with her than they do with me at this point. And I see them more as her aunt than my friend. And some people we just talk and some people we just crack up and we laugh and we don't talk about parenting because actually they're really shit at the whole kid thing. And I like to stay in touch with reality and I'm not a maternal person. I just love my kid. That's it. And I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to try because I love my kid. And I went into therapy to be a good parent. I went into therapy to heal her mum. And actually what ended up happening was I had to face and heal myself. I think that was one branch. And then the other thing was that, like like I said, we were really poor. So I had to work, but also I couldn't afford childcare. And I lived in London and I lived in a really expensive part of London. So I had to cultivate a career in an environment that, number one, I could flourish in, but also I was good at. And I wasn't really good at anything but talking and writing. So I was like, all right, I'm just, I'm just going to do that. Also, I noticed that there was a, a huge lack of diversity and intersectionality within that industry. And I didn't have anything to lose. So I said that to people. And this was before BLM. So people got really uncomfortable. But also, the way that I speak, allow people to be open to what I had to say and I know that I'm smart and I knew that I was smart I knew I didn't have much but I was smart so I was like okay like I'm willing to have these conversations and open up this dialogue and be open to other people sharing things too and so I say that like part of what healed me was the community of people that were willing to share their experiences too and willing to trust too. And I've learned by example and I've taught by experience. And I think that all of those different parts are kind of how I ended up here now. But I take regular breaks. I drop off of Instagram for three weeks all the time. I just did that. Like I wasn't on socials. And that was just because it wasn't good for me. And it wasn't about other people. It was about me making a decision to engage with something that I just wasn't enjoying. I think about what I'm doing and how it makes me feel all the time. And now I understand from experience and how bad my mental health can be. I'm sensitive as fuck. And I'm not sensitive to other people. I'm sensitive to myself. I get really annoyed when I do things that I know I, I, not that I shouldn't do, but it's not good for me. You know, I make better choices now. And, you know, when some people talk about health and they talk about like diet or exercise and they say, you know, making better choices, I don't do no diet or no exercise. That's not for me. But when I talk about good health and making healthy choices, I make healthy, good choices every day in the way that some people would do things like a diet. My diet is a good health diet of my mental state. And so that's where I like, I'm constantly aware and always on myself. And that is kind of basically how I live my life. That is so beautiful. You basically have all the odds against you, you know, and you just over and over again prove them wrong and you are not boxed into anything. And it's just amazing really amazing chatting to you and I think I hope there's going to be people listening to you that go you know she didn't have the money she didn't have the partner she didn't do and look what she's done you know yeah I'm trying I'm like I hope you receive it (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that's true at all I think you are you can you're doing it yeah you really are like um thank you so much for giving me your time you're welcome it was lovely chatting to you If you have been affected by any of the themes in this programme, head to the episode description for resources and helplines. Zombie Mum was produced by B. Duncan with original music by Hugo White. It was mastered by Ben Williams. The executive producer was Hannah Walker-Brown. This is a Broccoli production. Next week, I'm speaking to my partner, Hugo White. Here's a sneak peek of our conversation. 
I definitely feel looking back on it like it would have really helped me at some point in that maybe eight visits to GP someone could have said to me have a read of this leaflet this is something that could happen postpartum psychosis if I'd been given the bullet points of that that would have probably been all that we needed to pick up on it quicker that it was something more than whatever they were saying baby blues or postnatal depression. depression.